great. I will never bring a Ouija board into my house. So if you want to play with a Ouija board, it has to be in your home. But my home is newer than yours, no offense, meaning there's nothing here. There's like zero history, unless we like... And, well, and that's true. And I did have Santeria masks in my attic. So when we moved in, I told you that, didn't I? No. Oh. Oh. So I crawled up my little ladder to look up into the attic because I was hearing weird noises. Of course you were, because it's haunted. As you do in an old house. So I like climbed up there and there are just these two masks perched on mannequin heads. And they're Santeria masks. Oh, your place is so haunted. Oh my god. It's super I'm haunted. I'm so excited. <laughs> you live here. I'm fucking done. It's fine. It's not as haunted as the last place. No, the last place wasn't haunted. It had blood spatters on the ceiling. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. Shut up. It did. Those ceilings were massive. Yep. And there was blood up there. You couldn't even see it. You couldn't even see if you had left a soccer ball up there. You can see a... A of blood. Maybe it was just somebody's lasagna that exploded. We can tell ourselves. <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to <laughs> Just Another Sex Podcast, otherwise known as Kate's Haunted Ass Houses. <laughs> That's the second podcast we'll be doing right after this. Perfect. <laughs> I'm Amy. I'm Kate. And this is episode eight of Just Another Sex Podcast. Today's episode is going to be, I know I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Try it. Sappho. Nailed it. Wonder Woman and other perversions. Nailed it. That, do you like that? Is that I a, do. Is that an okay title? Too long? So for those who don't know, we are going to be diving in into Professor, the movie Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, which is the movie that is inspired by the true life story of the comic book writer of Wonder Woman and where he got the idea from it and everything that kind of follows with it. The creator of Wonder Woman. Yes, creative Wonder Woman. And before we dive into that, we just wanted to remind you, if you guys have any questions, any stories, you can always email us or get a hold of us through social media. We're on Instagram at Just Another Sex Podcast, Twitter at JA Sex Podcast, email at Just Another Sex Podcast at Gmail. And of course, we are on Facebook. We are streaming on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google via Buzzsprout. In case you don't know what you're listening to, that's a hint. Now, this past week we has been really hectic for us. So we did get a couple of emails, actually, listener emails. So yay, thank you. Thank you. A couple of them we're going to not choose to read because we haven't had time to address on them and get into more detail. Did you want me to read one of the emails, Kate, to address? Or did you want to... I'll let you pick the email because there's a couple that we got. I think you should do the army one. Military one. This is coming from our listener, Becky, who was actually somebody that I know... We went to school together. We've known each other for, holy crap, too long. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) By the way, since you brought up being old, I typed in the wrong password to my Facebook profile today. Oh, no. Because I was logging in on another computer. And it said, sorry, this password was changed 10 years ago. Shut up. Would you like to update it? 10 years, a decade. You've had the same password for Facebook for 10 years? Apparently. That's a hot mess. Anyway, so Becky writes to us, random code of conduct that every soldier has to follow no matter rank, branch, or anything that is that if a soldier commits adultery, they're commanded to call or tell their spouse immediately with a soldier's superior on the line or in the room. And depending on what military member and their spouse chooses to do or act on the adultery, the military member will most likely be dishonorably discharged for disgracing and tarnishing the name and reputation of whatever military branch the soldier was in. Not crazy, but take this seriously and wanted to share. Thanks, Becky. I 
am not familiar with military ways. I was never enlisted. I am not married to anyone. I've never dated anyone military. Kate, though, you me were a military wife for many, 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 many years. Long, long time. So there's, there's parts of this fact that are true and parts that aren't. Okay. So they do definitely take adultery seriously. Usually, if they're going to take it super seriously and like someone is going to be dishonorably discharged or anything like that, they're going to be an officer. Okay. If you are an enlisted, which is like private, the lower sergeants, you're probably going to get in trouble for it because they don't want you to do that. And it's generally like a slap on the wrist. The thing about commanded to call or tell their spouse immediately with the commander on the phone, that's just not true. I kind of question that. That did seem a little odd and I wasn't sure. I don't know. To me, I feel like any of that it shouldn't be, if it doesn't affect your work, it shouldn't be a part of it. Like it's none of your business if it, as long as it doesn't affect your work. But that's just me personally. That's why there's sort of this, these levels. So basically, if you had an affair, so whether you are the married person having an affair with a single person or a married person, or you are a single person having an affair with a married person and you happen to be the one in the service, not just the army. I know I said the army earlier. Mm-hmm. That's what the legal definition of it is. Then they will take it to the next level, which is there was an act of adultery that happened and somehow the commander found out. So now they have to decide whether or not this act reflects poorly on the military. So that's where you get into how officers are held to a higher standard of conduct than enlisted. So especially if you are an officer, you can lose your wings if you're a pilot. There are like really intense ramifications. They can even put you on, like they can confine you for a year, which is ridiculous, or dishonorably discharge you, which makes it impossible to get a job outside of the military. So it's definitely... Like I said, there's parts of this that are true, and it's good to know if you are in the service so that they do take it seriously, but your commander is not going to be on the phone while you tell your spouse. That being said, I know that swinger culture is alive and well in military life, but it's just something that people don't really talk about because you're not supposed to do it. But I mean, not to say that people in military relationships cheat more often or or anything like that, but there definitely is more strain on them because of the long periods you're not with your spouse. It can happen, not saying it happens more often, but it's definitely policed more. But yeah, it's it's always something in the back of your head and it's kind of scary because especially- I was gonna say, that sounds nerve wracking. Yeah, especially like as a military wife, usually you don't really get the opportunity to have the career because you move around so much. So you don't get to develop your career. So really your lifeblood, your livelihood is your spouse's paycheck. And I said military wife and it could be true of a military husband but yeah it's it's a bit nerve-wracking and kind of antiquated and ridiculous it's it's usually if you were going to get in trouble for adultery they'll tack that on with something else that they have a lot of evidence against you for like as an add-on not like hey we're coming at you because you cheated on your spouse but hey you did a b and c bad things and yeah it's kind of like a seatbelt law yeah you i pulled you over because you were driving 110 in a 25 but you also weren't wearing your seatbelt so i'm gonna add that on too got it that makes more sense. Not saying all the time because they do go after people who are not demure mm-hmm. <laughs> about their lifestyle. But yeah, it's it's uh, they definitely do take it seriously. Okay, cool. Well, like I said, thank you so much, Becky, for bringing that in. We look forward to hearing more stories and facts and anything else from our listeners because you know you guys are the ones that literally make us here and ha- well, I mean, we do it because we want to hear ourselves talk. All five of our listeners, we really appreciate you guys in. So you also make us happy though. 
you do you really do and you guys react and like actually respond to us it makes us so happy and we'll be like look at look what we got all right let's get kinky we're diving in to professor marston and the wonder woman now for those who don't know this is a 2017 movie that was starring luke evans love him uh, rebecca hall oh uh, <laughs> I know, let's all just take a collective side for this whole <sighs> cast. <laughs> and Bella Heath- uh, Heathcote, who's an Australian actress who I really liked in this. Is she? Yeah, she's Australian. I didn't know that oh. until after I looked in. I know. A pretty good accent. Yeah. She had an amazing... Anyway. <laughs> so this is directed and written by Angela Robinson, who, for those who might be familiar, she's directed a lot of episodes of How to Get Away with Murder, True Blood, The L Word, which is a pretty amazing show within itself. Yeah. Um... Now, we are going to have major spoilers in this. Mind you, um, you can find it on Hulu, Amazon Prime, Vudu, wherever else you get your movies. Blockbuster. Is there, there's one Blockbuster last time? There's one what? Blockbuster. Now you can buy tickets to do uh, a sleepover at the one last Blockbuster. Do we really want to risk that in COVID? But I mean, yes, but also at the same time. Can we wait until there's like a legit vaccine? And then we done. do Done. If it closes before then, I'm going to be mad. Just heads up. Okay. <laughs> So, for those who want to, we strongly, I personally recommend watching this movie. Both of us, um, so go take that time right now. We're just, hit pause on us, go watch that movie, come back in two hours. Go for it. It'll be worth it. You back? Okay, great. So, for those of you who don't want to watch it and are kind of lazy and like, look, I ain't got time for that shit. I barely got time for you guys. Here is a brief summary, or as brief as we can get on this. So this is this movie covers about a 20-year span between the late 1920s and the mid-40s. It focus falls on Dr. William Martson and his wife, Elizabeth. Uh, so William and his wife, Elizabeth, teach and work on their research at the Associated Harvard and Radcliffe Colleges. William one day will hire hires on one of his students, Olive Byrne, as a research assistant. Now, Olive aids in the Marston's work in inventing like the lie detector test he's very heavily credited for and conducting research on William's disc theory. Now, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, have fun. Disc theory basically is just dominance, inducement, submission, and compliance, which is a form of like a personality test that a lot of people still actually like and use today and some variation. It's pretty great. It's really interesting and I kind of yeah. almost want to tackle that within its own episode but we're not doing that today we're focusing on the movie because this is who we are that'd be fun though oh yeah and so over time as they work together the three soon grow close they fall in love with one another and all three of them begin to engage in a polyamorous relationship yay eventually they move it and yes talking about that polyamorous is when you um have many loves yes if you didn't catch our last episode so they are all in love with one another actively in a relationship in this triad thruple mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it thruple i use thruple in my notes because i like that word um, I do too. eventually they move in together both olive and elizabeth have children that are fathered by william so elizabeth has two children a, do- a boy and a girl olive ann marston and pete marston olive has two boys don marston and burn Lars- marston now elizabeth ends up working outside of the home Olive becomes the housewife and William like writes papers would teach and eventually he gets into the line of comics. He goes to the national periodical publications, which is later becomes known as DC comics and pitched the idea of Suprema, the wonder woman, which then later is just suggested as just wonder woman. Soon their lifestyle is attested as the outside world, not only judges wonder woman, but the thruple as well. Their love is tested. And eventually William does die in 1947 due to cancer 
The movie ends showing that Elizabeth and Olive live together for another 40 plus years. Wonder Woman has massive changes, but prevails as one of the most famous comic book heroes of all time. Since I was rambling, Kate, I want to hear your thoughts, your reactions of the movie itself, and then we'll kind of dive in a little bit more from there, I guess. What was your initial when you first saw it? Because this was not the first time you watched it with me the other day. No, it's not. I've seen this probably like five times. And I really <laughs> suggested it because it's honestly one of my favorite movies. And I saw this movie when I was actively polyamorous in a polyamorous relationship. I think that the movie gets a lot of things right. There are some flaws and we'll kind of get into those too. But it's really mm-hmm. like the first that I've been aware of blockbuster sort of movie where a polyamorous couple of any sort, couple, thruple, whatever, is shown as being in a relationship and that relationship while flawed, being successful. Because mm-hmm. usually in a lot of these, like there's another one, like Vicky Cristina Barcelona. That was another one that showed just how chaotic this relationship and how toxic it was. And it really seems like in Hollywood, they take that route that obviously there must be something toxic and terrible about these people um, rather than just seeing them at face value. That blew me away. And then not to mention, you know, he's the creator of Wonder Woman. So what's not to love about him? Wonder Woman! Um, <laughs> It's interesting. And I, and I think we'll get into it in a little bit. His love of women obviously really appeals to me. Yes. And the fact that throughout the movie, he says how, well, if the, the patriarchy is all about war and violence and aggression, obviously the matriarchy is going to be about love and acceptance and compassion. Mm-hmm. And, and these are all things that he really did espouse. I mean, obviously in, in the comic book. So that always really struck me. I really adore this movie. And like I said, it's not without its problems, but it gets into the topics of, and I know we didn't want to do a play by play, but it gets into the topics of men's feelings. Yes. It gets into the topics of even women being dominant as opposed to submissive. When it gets into disc theory, which I think we should do a whole episode about it, it really explains the psychology of kink and BDSM, especially when we're talking about dominance and submission. There has to be, this period of inducement to make this of this if want to do it too, to do all of that. So I don't know. I, I could gush about this movie. I think my favorite part about it though, one of my favorite parts is the like main tenant of Wonder Woman being her quest for truth with her lasso and like that being her guiding principle. And the very fact that while well, he wasn't the, the actual like creator of the lie detector, he did... He was instrumental in bringing that about. Absolutely. So it was like bringing his work into um, this comic. I don't know. I just, I absolutely adore it. And see, I'd never seen the movie. So this was really fun. And I thought there were two major things that I took away. It was trying to put away two themes of like, what is normal? Like, what's that definition? And it, and it kind of felt mm-hmm. it was of what is normal. And also another thing of the parallel of hiding who you were in the world or who you are in the world. Like Wonder Woman has to hide in a man's world. She's considered a modern woman is what he would describe her as, as what William would describe her as. But at the same time, they had to hide themselves as a thruple actively. They had to portray a lie saying that Olive was living with them and was like a sister-in-law who they were taking care of. It was widowed and all these things instead of just being able to openly admit you know, yeah, we're, we're together, all three of us. And obviously you can't, I mean, even today in 2020, that's still a yeah. really hard concept to, for most people to swallow. Back then it was- It's still, yeah, it's still a concern for our family. Like I, I'm not actively in a polyamorous relationship, but we have a lot of poly people in our lives. 
Mm. And you have kids, you have all of this stuff. You just want to be accepted and live your own life. I mean, if, you know, if you have anything different than the normal, part of it is um, not only the shame of being different, but the shame of bringing it on your children. And that was actually one of the lines that mm-hmm. I put down, that I wrote, one of the quotes that they use at the very end of the movie when, again, kind of mild spoilers, Elizabeth kind of pushes back when the kids are starting to feel the effect. Like people are taunting them. The kids are getting bullied at school. The neighbors are ostracizing them. And she kind of pushes all of away and is trying to live this, what is considered a normal life. And William points out that our children are inheriting your shame. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a, to me, a really powerful line in that moment of we should still be happy with who we are. I was really surprised the movie focused so much more about the relationship between Elizabeth and Olive than the actual thruple. Like, don't get me wrong. William is, is a part of it and he plays and he does his role, but it really does focus more on Elizabeth and Olive and their feelings and how they are and how they were able to grow closer together, which I, I loved that. I loved that. It wasn't just some like sexy man's, fantasy world it was two women who genuinely had feelings for each other and genuinely had these things there's great portrayals of a bad romance between olive and her at the time fiance bart can i go back to what you just said too yeah go you do you think that focusing on their relationship well the about focusing on olive and elizabeth's relationship rather than you know inserting william into that immediately do you think that that was Angela's attempt to kind of reclaim this idea of lesbianism from the male gaze? Absolutely. A hundred percent. That does not surprise. I mean, yes, you put it way more eloquently than I would have, but yeah, absolutely. That was definitely, that was absolutely Robinson's idea when she was writing this is trying mm-hmm. to kind of focus on there. I just loved, I don't know. Like I said, I, I loved it. There's a w- amazing scene where all of, because they get into like burlesque and f- kind of get into like a kink club and stuff. And there's a scene where Olive ends up dressing up as like in the, in, in a burlesque, I guess that's what you would call it. Burlesque. Basically what looks like the, now we know wonder woman, right? It's like, it's it like the like, wonder woman prototype. She's right. even got the bangles. Cause the bangles were, were based on her uh, bracelet. Actual she wore bracelet. All the yeah. Right. Her actual bracelet she would wear all the time. And she had like the rope she had because they were introduced into rope play. She had the little tiara. She had the one piece, the high boots, all of it. And man, that was such a powerful scene when she steps out from the shadows as, and you just can't help but think she's Wonder Woman. And not only that, but just she was powerful, man. And she was sexy. And she's very presented as almost a very feminine and unique character for a good part of the movie, in my opinion, compared to Elizabeth, who's like, super harsh and is literally called by her husband a grade a bitch like (laughs) but she's and to see her take that kind of power and mantle and it step up if you will i loved it i thought that was an amazing scene the way that was done and i really think that you had elizabeth as the harsh almost masculinized sort of person and then you had olive who was feminized so they're like this dichotomy of what femininity is so you've got yeah. opposite sides of the spectrum to make one. And he even makes makes the statement, oh, together you make one perfect woman. Mm-hmm. And he made that constant. Yeah, he would make that mm-hmm. constantly. And they even did that visually. There's one scene near the end of the movie. The My imagery favorite. where, oh, yeah. it was beautiful. Where he where he's like starting to wake up because he's in the hospital. And like you see a silhouette of a woman walking towards him. 
and then it splits and it's one Elizabeth and Olive like kind of shadow out as he focuses in. And it's an absolutely amazing visual. If you haven't seen it, go freaking watch this movie. One thing that made me giggle hysterically that I did a bunch of Googling was the G-String King. Is he I'm real? He's a real human being. Charles Gutierrez was oh. a real person. He was a pioneer in fetish style. He was the first person in the United States to produce and distribute fetish art and regarded as the mail order predecessor Ir Irving Claw. He was actually known as the G-String King. And he's best remembered for his bizarre, like, i.e. fetish, uh, photographs featured to sadomasochistic, a lot of BDSM, basically, content. So he was genuine person in real life who was in the area that they were living at in the time, which don't ask me where that was because I didn't do that much research. I just Googled him real quick. But I want to do an episode on him because I was super goddamn excited that he was an actual person. <laughs> his pictures are beautiful. I just Googled him while you were talking. Oh, they're amazing. Like he was so yeah, interesting. So and then I also looked at Irving Claw. So like this whole idea of like so so it's important I think to frame that pornography is illegal at this time. Absolutely, possessing pornography, selling any of the stuff is illegal because it's it's shameful and dirty. Of course, of course. So these people were really revolutionary in trying to get not only like this pornography published, but this like really. Um, it wasn't really risque back then. It was kind of adorable. But like the beginnings of like the Betty Page BDSM sort of pinup models. Which, side note, we need to write this down. I actually want to do an episode on Betty Page because I read a thing. And her later life, like after she did the pinup and became famous for that, is absolutely bananas. Did you know she totally assaulted her landlady and ended up in the mental hospital multiple times, unfortunately, for mental illness? And like gutted her oh. landlady? full-blown stabbing spree oh yeah it's a whole thing it's got a true crime it's got a little bit of a little bit of whack noodles and it's got a lot of it's 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 a whole thing i want to do a book yeah we got to talk her. about that because i don't know anything about that oh i want to do a book report on her <laughs> <laughs> so but overall i thought it was a great movie i really really appreciated how it was the first movie i've ever seen that portrayed a poly relationship in a positive light like there are some shows like why women kill i love that show that's on cbs access it's got lucy Liu and a bunch of other people in it there is a throuple in there but it ends up kind of deteriorating and at first they try to make it sound positive but it's just that stereotypical one gets too jealous one it ends up falling apart there's you know certain things that make it bad chilling adventures of sabrina the teenage witch on netflix that new show absolutely portrays poly uh, polygamy but it does it in such a way to polygamy or polyamory polyamory interesting it does it in a way that is really in my opinion not a great representation where it falls apart and it got and like one of the main baddies is using it as his excuse to basically cheat on his very pregnant wife but he would essentially it's poly villainy and the chilling adventures of the sabrina that again it's cool that they have that representation but a lot of the times it's portrayed as a negative light or only something evil people do and it just annoys me, but this is something that really portrayed it not only as like they're functioning and work well together, but they are happy for the most part. Obviously, there's you know, it wouldn't be a good movie, it didn't have a little bit of drama in there that shows them as a functioning, realistic couple and that survived off each other because you know, Elizabeth went off and worked and was the breadwinner, Olive was at home taking care of the kids, and William was doing the writing and eventually the you know. And doing all of his theories and stuff and until Wonder Woman took off enough to support them. 
so but it was really a family unit and i loved how that represented very well and came across what i personally wanted to do because i went on a manic episode i wanted to dive into truth and fiction i don't know if anybody noticed this week was a rough week for poor amy and i have you can hear paper notes so many. I told her, Amy, let's just watch the movie and then we can talk about this thing. And then she sends me this film of all of her copious notes of everything that she was taking. I and- literally wrote about, <laughs> ooh, I don't know, how many notes would you say? I numbered it out to be about five pages front to back handwritten notes. I went manic. <laughs> I And so and there's a lot in this movie. I think we should do a disc episode because... There's so much about the psychology of BDSM that he touches upon. Um, yes. I really thought it was interesting that he mentioned, like, without the erotic component, how is submission even supposed to be pleasurable? It's a good point. Which we could, like, definitely get into. Because, I mean, there we have talked about, like, last week on our BDSM episode, where you can have scenes that aren't sexual at all. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder. So we can just cut this whole thing out. We can get into it later. No, no, no. It's fine. I want to... Trust me, I'm keeping a bunch of this in. But one thing that was always amazing is he took a lot of that work and a lot of the disc theory and, and like, pulled that into making that the founding stone for Wonder Woman comics and to be the fact of not only she's a pioneer for truth, like you mentioned earlier when you kind of had those first kind of feelings and interpretations of the movie... She's not only a champion for truth, but her way of punishment, it isn't beating up the bad guys. It's not violence. It's not pulling a Superman and hitting them really hard or Batman and shooting them out and all these other things. It's with compassion and love and reforming and trying to get them reformed with that love, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other thing that most comic book characters, even to this day, have never touched on. And most literary characters don't touch on. And so it's such a groundbreaking thing to still be like she is assertive she is powerful but she also is still loving and kind god damn it and don't take her for a fool and it just and i love that he never never denied that she was overly sexual never of course there's a sexual component to it of course there is and like he and there's a there's a part in the movie that i love that they let in where he said that you know how else are we going to teach boys of this era to respect strong confident loving women Mm -hmm. if we don't like get into their psychology now exactly kind of adorable brainwashing no i love it i think it's fantastic on how he was able to do that (laughs) and it just it played so well but it was such a scary thing for the time that a lot of people now the movie makes it portrayed as if they're gonna shut him down and it's you know wonder woman's in danger reality was they weren't in that much danger because they were so goddamn popular they outsold superman at one point which is was again the biggest thing that's ever happened in comics is superman but Wonder Woman ended up outselling him for quite a while. He was too Wonder Woman comics was too popular for DC to event and I say DC now because that wasn't who they were then. But that it was too powerful for DC and too much moneymaker for them to really get to squish her. But at the same time, it absolutely was a game changer for the comic and, and uh entertainment industry. The minute that Marston di- Dr. Marston died, new writers stepped in, and for a good chunk from the 40s to the, about the late 60s, early 70s. They took away her powers. They literally made her the Justice League secretary. And they even had a string of comics that went through where it was just focusing on Diana Prince, you know, and all these things as the modern woman. How proper she right. is. Right. And it was yeah. absolute yeah. crock of shit. And then finally what happened was it got stepped in uh, by, oh my God, where did my note go? Gloria Steinem. Thank you. Jeez Louise. I thought mm-hmm. I was the comic nerd here. Gloria Steinem. Well, I just, up. I'm. 
I'm the feminist nerd. That's why. There you go. Hi. <laughs> she stepped in and took control and regave her her powers and then relaunched her as the one as the awesome person that we know and love today. Now, that being said, there are some things in the movie that were not right. Obviously, Hollywood glamorizes some things, but there is some truth to it. And I wanted to dive in not only to the truth, the differences between truth and fact, but also a lot of opinions and the way that people have portrayed the real thruple that was Dr. Marston, Elizabeth, and Olive. We don't know that Dr. Marston lost his job because of his polyamory, which was portrayed very heavily in the film at one point. There's never even any evidence that the family neighbors shunned them because there's a big scene where he fights the neighbor kid idiots. There's a really weird NPR article I found that I didn't like. I didn't like it. But the quote on there was really interesting saying what Professor Marston doesn't get the movie in terms or managed to convey is that Bill's ideas of bondage based female power have dated badly. Just because Bill, Elizabeth, and Olive were out of sync with their time does not mean that they were ahead of it. And I I disagree. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? It was mean? trying to portray... I think what the NPR article was trying to say was that, you know, oh, because the movie portrays them as ahead of their time in terms of having this poly relationship. And NPR is like, well, that's not really the case. That's how I think they were trying to portray it. Of like, you don't see poly people. But I felt like that was totally washing away the point of, actually, they are. They're just completely ostracized, even in 2020. So they're ostracized and they're obviously not vocal about mm-hmm. it because they're afraid of what they're going through. So they are ahead of their time. They're just, oh, that's, that's frustrating. And especially where, and I would never say that bondage is new to anybody because no. it's been around forever, but it wasn't popularized then. Right. At all. Yeah. We, we kind of talked about how those, those gauntlets that Wonder Woman has were based on Olive's bangles, which I absolutely love. And I did read an article, too, that Olive was said to have enjoyed the gentle bondage. Yes. Is what we'll call it. So they they kind of portrayed it in the movie as using, like, ribbons instead of chains. Yes. So, like, and rope instead of all that stuff. And so it wasn't, like chains and whips and stuff but it still was bondage to a certain degree um another thing is it talked about the bangles i actually found an art an article as well that was kind of there's so many articles listen guys i'm just heads up i'm trying to source as best i can those now she ended up quote unquote marrying both william and elizabeth as per one biographer wrote wearing wide banded bracelets on each arm instead of a ring and from then on referring to november 21st of I think the year 1931 as anniversary, but those bangles were the absolute inspiration for what Wonder Woman was because it's kind of well known that Olive is created as being Marston's inspiration for the physical appearance of his iconic character. He only remarked that a pair of bracelets Olive frequently wore, kind of like we said, was part of Wonder Woman's thing. Can we talk about the sex scene too? Please, that was amazing. One of them? One of them. There was the first one. Where they get together and they are on the stage. At and the it's college. like the first time at the college, yeah. And it's the first time they're admitting to each other that they want each other, they love each yes. other. And they're giving in to this. I loved that with the amount of costumes that they had, they had Olive dress as Diana. Yes. The goddess Diana. They had William dress up as Steve Trevor. They did. Because he was he dressed up as a pilot, and then help me because Elizabeth w- was dressed up in that cheetah coat. Isn't there like a cheetah character yes. in that is her Wonder Wonder arch nemesis? Ironic. I found that very interesting. That is uh, Wonder Woman's arch nemesis is cheetah, and that's who's going to be portrayed and is the big baddie in the new Wonder Woman eighty four movie coming out. Oh, and cool. so I was really fascinated when I saw that coat. I I actually made a note in my 
20 million notes. I was like, oh, cheetah. <laughs> so it's really interesting because a parts of the movie too kind of portrayed it to where there was a little bit of not a hostility, but unsureness between Olive and Elizabeth to where she seems kind of aggressive and rough. And that was very much how Cheetah is portrayed. And she was actually created by Dr. Marston as well. And it would not surprise me if any way, shape, or form that Cheetah was was kind of modeled after Elizabeth's kind of harsh, neurotic type personality. Because she was. She was absolutely a harsh individual. Like, she went to speakeasies all the time. She was you know neurotic her husband literally describes her as a great a bitch which was like my favorite because he says it in a as a compliment anybody else he says it in such a loving way which is i didn't think was possible until he did it in the movie and i was just like oh i want my i want my husband to call me a great a bitch (laughs) i'll let him know (laughs) (laughs) thanks Oh, you know what? I took over some of where you were speaking and what I dove into. That's fair. That's fair. So, like, at the same... And then we talked about how Elizabeth went to work, mm-hmm. whereas it, it portrayed Olive in the movie staying at home and being, like, the housewife. Yeah. But it didn't really get into what Olive was doing aside from that. So, at the same time Elizabeth, in real life, entered a career in insurance, Olive began to write um, with a pseudonym for a women's magazine called Family Circle. Which, is, is that the one that had those adorable cartoons? Yes. Yeah wonderful and it was very conservative for its time of this is how a proper housewife is portrayed and like she ended up in her well i'll let you go on on it because i'm but it's so manic you're so manic (laughs) this thing so uh, a match let me tell you what (laughs) i'm I'm just happy that you enjoyed it but yeah um on october 25th 1940 family circle had published an article of olives that featured marston's thoughts on the moral value of comic books which i can only imagine oh god yeah how like pearl clutching that would Mm -hmm. be the article caught the attention of comic book publisher mc Gaines, inadvertently launched marston into a brand new line of work so then he was hired as a consultant to Gaines. uh marston had the platform to pitch the superhero whose values emphasized love and honesty quote unquote Fine, but make her a woman. Elizabeth is rumored to have said, bless. 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 So, and and the movie didn't really get into the point either that um, Marston was pretty, um, I mean, he had worked in Hollywood before. Yes. He had sold screenplays. So he wasn't shot, or like he wasn't unsure of like how all of this worked. He knew how to pitch ideas. But it seemed like he just hadn't found the right one that would really launch him. Yeah. Comic book trivia. Wonder Woman actually debuted and was a debut was in All-Star Comics number eight in December of 1941, which was followed by Sensation Comics number one in January of 1942. So it was a two-parter. And then six months after that, Wonder Woman number one actually premiered for what is now known as DC Comics. Now, I have a question for you. Hmm. Are the Wonder Woman comics, like the number one and all of that stuff, are those still like super sought after? Just Big like time. Superman number one? Like, is, is she worth less because she's a woman or no (laughs) if anything it's kind of more coveted um i could try to google real quick on how much you don't have to i just didn't know like if you knew yes it is absolutely sought after for first editions in good condition for wonder woman number ones or even just try to find the sensation comics where she was part of as well because she ended up still she had her own line, but she was still a part of those other ones as well. So yeah, those are absolutely still sought after, especially if you can get the grade, the grades on them, the quality of the comic, first print, second print, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're totally sought after. That's really cool. And then that, that pitch for Wonder Woman was done to editor Sheldon Mayer, not Max Gaines. 
And oh, it's adorable. William's granddaughter was named after Sheldon. Oh. Sheldon Mayer was actually a really famous editor within his own right and helped launch a lot of other D- well-known now DC comic characters. So it's I was really kind of bummed when they were making it look like he went to Max Gaines versus Gaines hiring him and then him going to Gaines again about pitching it. I get that's cleaner for the movie, but it really discredited uh, Sheldon Mayer and his role and importance to Wonder Woman and how she formed as well behind the scenes. This is why you lit up. Yeah. Because it like gets to your comic book nerves. Oh, so hard. <laughs> and then when asked about this all later in life, William and Elizabeth's son, Pete, uh, either would say that the adults had their own part of the house and the kids had theirs. And the kids didn't know what went on over there. It would scoff with, who cares? Why do you want to know that? Which, by the way, screams. Oh, we, we knew. We just didn't talk about it. But yeah, there, there was a, an article from Psychology Today where... It seems like, and I'm being just 100% real, the kids are just like so beyond it and they don't want to talk about it because it's embarrassing. At that point. Because you don't want to talk about your parents' sex life. Nobody does. Like, please stop asking. They, they, they all raised us. Leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, we're all, I mean, listen, do you want to talk about your parents' sex life at all? No, I really don't. I don't want to admit my parents. Oh, I really don't want to admit my parents' sex life. I don't know anybody who's comfortable with that. So yeah, I can easily see how they were super over it. And Pete was kind of the spearheaded a lot of Wonder Woman projects and trying to keep the legacy alive for his dad. But yeah, he was absolutely super sick and tired of those questions of like, okay, yeah, we all live together. Big fucking whoop. Now, direct the director of the movie again, who's this is where we're all going off of Angela Robinson. She made a big point of saying like, I chose to tell the story as my interpretation and like this movie is my inter- interpretation of the actual story of who it was another th- so it's again you have to take that with a great assault i'm not saying that it was bad i love the movie but it is one of those things to where it is a little ho- hollywood glazed as i like to call it to where they have to make it shiny they have to make it a little dramatic but wonder now at the very end of the movie there's like some end credits to kind of explain what happened to everybody there is not an elizabeth and olive museum that pete made as you know, sad a face as we would be. It's really the Wonder Woman Family Museum. So if you're trying to go look for Elizabeth and Olive, you're not going to find their museum. But there is a Wonder Woman Museum. So I totally want to go. I was so excited when I heard that. That would be so much fun. I would love to go. We kind of talked a little bit about it. Now, Pete and the kids were really, and, the, and his other siblings were very much, I don't want to talk about it. God, who cares about my parents' sex life? But it's really interesting. Christy Marston, who's the daughter of Pete. Now, remember, Pete is elizabeth's and william's son christy marston is the daughter of pete so that's their granddaughter she had an interview with forbes right when the movie first came out and she thought a lot of it was bullshit in terms of how robinson portrayed her mother and olive and really hated it and she specifically and there were three quotes that kind of stood out to me throughout the whole article that they really weighed on heavily the relationship between graham and dots now graham is elizabeth dots is olive adorable the relationship between, isn't it but again this touches on the fact that she was aware of her grandparents she probably didn't get it obviously she didn't get the chance to meet william but she knew about her grandmother and she knew about olive aka dots which i want to be that point where i get a nickname for my grandchildren please the relationship the relationship between graham and dots is wrong they were sisters not lovers that's a direct quote from that article another one she said was graham and dots not only lacked that connectivity which couples have but have had no reason to hide i do agree that nobody can ever say when somebody what someone 
as somebody else lived, so can neither swear that she and Dots never connected sexually, but I can say with 99.99 certainty that they did not. So again, she's trying to like, oh, well, I guess it's possible, but, but no, they totally didn't. They totally did. She, uh, I, I, I kind of didn't like that, because again, and then she, her defense on that when asked, like, well, how do you really know? She goes, personally, I think it would have been nice if Grandma Dots had been lovers, to have had the extra element in their long life together, but the reality is they lived as sisters, not lovers. Some people just don't get that love does not always include sex, which is such a crop of shit, in my opinion, because people do see that. We do get that. That's the whole point of Polly is the fact that you can love without the sex. Yeah. That's the whole spectrum on it. And mm. like really aggravates me that she would, I don't know. It's it's this idea. And I think I brought it up in, in one of the past episodes that everybody assumes if you were in a polyamorous relationship that you're fucking everybody constantly. Oh, it must be so great to have so much sex. Yeah. No, no. If anything, like everything is super complicated and you're having more conversations about feelings and checking in on people. And it's not all about sex. It's again, it's not polysexual, which is another label. Polyamory. It's it's many loves. And love can look different for everybody. And I feel like another thing too, because she pointed out, I didn't put really quotes or like pull it from the article, but the Forbes thing mentioned that, you know, oh, we talked about everything under the sun and she was aware of my gay friends. And I was like, Okay, but that doesn't mean she's going to openly talk about her private sexual life with her granddaughter. I mean, she might, they might, again, they're very liberal, so they very easily could have had those kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. But that also doesn't mean she was obligated to tell her because she was, her and Olive had the relationship. Honestly, I had a really open relationship with my grandmother. That does not mean that my grandmother talked about having sex with my grandfather. That would have never come up, ever. In any conversation. I couldn't even imagine having... I don't no. know. My grandparents died when I was very young. But I couldn't even imagine having those kind of conversations with yeah. them. Again, they might have been proactive for their lifestyle and for what they had at that time. But at the same time, they still were raised in an era where that's conservative. And you don't really bring that up. Regardless if you're straight and normal mm-hmm. relation, Quote, unquote, normal relationship versus a poly relationship as a throuple. You still wouldn't really bring that up as common conversation to the table. Regardless no. on how open and feminist you are because that's just kind of the age and the part of that was yeah so we've talked about the the book and a lot of people will say that the movie is based on the book which yes and no kind of the book by the way is the secret history of wonder woman by jill lapore but parts of the book that, that we wanted to glean and kind of talk about just some for instances that were differences from what was presented in the movie was for instance olive told her children Bryn and don that their father was a man named William K. Richard, who died shortly after they were born. The boys were told of their true parentage in 1963, which, wow, that was probably a shock. Shocker. <laughs> and then Bern and Elizabeth Marston continued living together while raising both of their children after William's death. And again, we said that was that was way past the kids were grown. That was almost 40 years they were together. Mm-hmm. But that was from the book. So again, according to the book, Marston gave Elizabeth a choice. So either Olive could live with them or he would leave her. Elizabeth mm-hmm. was devastated, as I think anybody might be. Uh, she walked out the door and walked without stopping for six hours just thinking. Which, honestly, that sounds a lot like her from the way Rebecca Hall portrayed her. Yeah. So Elizabeth Holloway Marston, a new woman living in a new age, made a deal with her husband. Marston could have his mistress. Elizabeth could have her career. And Olive, trained in the science of psychology, would raise the children. So, Which is, I don't know, that's kind of adorable. Well, okay, we'll get into that. We will, yeah. But again, this is that's part of this is portrayed by the book. I want that made clear on why I'm kind of humming and hawing here. And, we, and you keep saying it's from the book, but again, this is from the book. <laughs> hey, Kate, Kate, hey. did you know this is from the book? 
It is? Yeah. I love. <laughs> I love. And now, and then let's bring up Margaret Sanger, Marston Lamp. Mm-hmm. Because why not? Granddaughter of Margaret Sanger, who Margaret Sanger was one of the great feminists of the era, like a pioneer of birth control for her time. And so this Margaret is the one who went sleuthing and uncovered, allegedly, the family secret decades after these supposed events took place. Mm-hmm. And that was from this article from Polly and the Media, their, their WordPress article. Right. They're the ones that kind of dissected the book because they mm-hmm. actually read it. I haven't had a chance to read it. It's literally next on my reading list after I'm right now reading Michelle Obama's book. So I, I got to finish that shit first. Oh, oh Michelle. God. Can we take 10 seconds to just listen? <sighs> I, I know we have to promote our own podcast, but have you have you had a chance to listen? Because I haven't. I want to read the book first. It's so good. Oh. It's so. I've only listened to the first episode, the one with yes. Barack, but it was just. I was just crying the whole time. It was oh, gorgeous. Her book's amazing. Um, just heads up, like I'm. Yeah. I'll have to get to that. I'm. I'm reading the Temple Grand book right oh. now. Oh. Well, okay, we'll, we'll sidetrack on that later. But that was. That was. Um. Yeah, that was recommended by the neuropsychs. I was like, oh, I better read that. But one interesting thing that these people brought up was this third mm-hmm. woman which she's not brought up in the movies at all. Her name is Marjorie Wilkes Huntley. And she was, like I said, the third woman. And she lived with them sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like she had a permanent room, according to some sources. And she would just come and go and just kind of do her own thing. We don't really know a whole lot about her. And I'm fascinated. I It breaks my heart that these people are gone and we can't yeah. talk to them. So yeah, on one hand, this is the most complete story we have of the Thruple. I mean, it's it's the only way that we can get it since the grandkids are just so adamantly against it. On the other hand, Lepore doesn't consistently respect the sources. She says, quote, he also blatantly box it Holloway's Elizabeth's version of the events as to why Harvard didn't grant her a PhD. And it was either Elizabeth was either lying or misremembering. So Which is a crock of shit because that doesn't really de- depend on her like you're doing a autobi- you're doing a biography on these people. You should depend on her own words. Yeah. Should you not? I mean, real i mean harvard and radcliffe were separate schools for a reason mm-hmm. for people that don't know harvard was for the men radcliffe was for the women radcliffe was supposed to be the separate but equal bullshit it said oh we're gonna give the girls their college it'll be just as good we all know how that goes yes and elizabeth was very resentful that she couldn't get into harvard but yeah the, the tone of the book overall is kind of ambiguous sometimes favoring the unconventional family and at other times it kind of paints it into a negative light so, and maybe that was intentional you're supposed to like glean your own information from it. The book is a lot harsher than the movie, for sure. It's a lot grittier, I would say. At the same time, I would say that the book, the movie is almost a little bit too rose-colored glasses at the same time. Like yeah. it's very much a romance love novel, but it's glamorizes how everything was and makes it all rosy and beautiful, which I think you kind of have to And they're all so pretty. Oh yeah, they were oh my not. God. Luke Evans is so pretty. Rebecca Hall is so pretty. Oh Olive Woods in real yeah. life, she was a drop dead gorgeous, but in reality, like mm-hmm. William and Elizabeth were not exactly hotties. They were fine. They were fine. They were. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. Yeah, they're 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 fine. They're like you know middle of the road, um, yeah. but it's it was just kind of an interesting thing. So you take away from it's almost like if you pull from both sources, you get closer to the truth. The book is incredibly harsh and doesn't really want to feed into the fact that they are, that Olive and Elizabeth had a relationship while the movie was super like, you damn right they had feelings and they were apart together. And there's personally, I could at least speak for myself. I don't know about, I'm sure Kate will say that they really, we strongly believe that they were an absolute bisexual couple. Would you agree? Yes. 
you had to think about mm-hmm. that one. <laughs> well, no, I was, well, you said bisexual. And then I was thinking, is William bisexual? I don't think so. No, but and- definitely <laughs> Elizabeth and Olive. But they were this, um, I'll call them a triad. <laughs> That's the term. It I'm is. Laughing. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking of it in Ben's experience with a triad. So a thruple, whatever. You know what thruple makes me think of? What? It makes me think of Thneeds from the Lorax. Right? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Just the word, like not the connotation or, or Just the definition. the word thruple. Thruple and Thneeds. That's interesting. I never Thneeds. would have thought everyone, of that. Everyone needs. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an, there's an article that you share with me as we're watching the movie that I didn't get to read until afterwards because I was like, you know, movie watching. Why am I sending you an article to read during, anyway. No, you did. Remember? I know. I said, why did I send you an article when you're supposed to be watching a movie? Here, read this, Amy. Well, you also saw me taking about 10 pages of notes. So to be fair, it all chalks up. That's true. So in terms of things that I really like from, it's an article from The Verge that really brings up some good points that I absolutely 100% agree with. Part of it is that Marston wrote extensively about female on female attraction in his scholarly work, going so far as to discuss the mechanics of uh, tribadism and then- What? Tribidism. Tribidism. Okay, yeah. He was going so far. Like tribbing. What? Like tribbing, you know? You mean like tribidism? I've never heard of that term. Like scissoring. Uh, You've never heard tribbing? Oh, yeah. The tribbing. You can tell I copied and pasted a lot of these notes when I cannot pronounce the words. Just heads up, guys. That's fine. So, yeah, he wrote extensively about female female attraction in his scholarly work, going so far to discuss the mechanics of tribidism and female oral sex. He presented lesbian sex as a normal and healthy thing and even suggested that half of women are all lesbians, which a lot of researchers have lately come out started saying majority of women, if they were honest, could probably be categorized as bare minimum bisexual, if not poly or anything along this line like they're not 100 straight the majority of women are not 100 straight which has been more and more supported by science lately which i really fucking love it's true girls oh, are pretty God, girls are pretty girls are really pretty like some are dressed pretty oh. yeah and they oh, smell good dude telling you right now <laughs> <laughs> scholars and fans um if still been remarkably reluctant to even acknowledge that Elizabeth and Olive were lovers, like I found so many articles. I went down this rabbit hole until about 12 o'clock at night after we finished watching the movie. And a lot of them were like, oh, yes, they were polyamorous. And then that was it. They didn't talk about them or the relationship. They were just like, yep, they're poly. William is the father of all the kids and they lived together. And that was it. Like they never really touched more into their relationship as Elizabeth and Olive. And that really struck home with me because as somebody who's bi, like, I don't know, that kind of breaks my heart. It kind of makes them invisible. Yeah, totally. It's like total bisexual erasure, which we always see. And I I just, I don't buy into the idea that William was a hinge. That's what they call in the poly. So if, if a person is in a relationship with two people and those two people do not, um, are not in a romantic or a sexual relationship, that person is called the hinge. I don't believe that with him. Not at all. I just don't. Another thing that I really thought was a fun fact that Elizabeth was a lifelong fan of Sappho's poetry, who is lesbian, lesbian porn. <laughs> it's lesbian poetry from the Greek times, like literally the like, cornerstone of lesbian poetry and everything that is. And I loved the themes, by the way, how they play that throughout the movie with her in it and the Greek thing and the fact that the, he made Wonder Woman as from, you know, paradise island and that the fact that it was like greek ancestry and you know based off of athena and all of the old stories and he purposely went off of that because 
in my opinion, of that those heavy stories because he was absolutely a very much a Roman and Greek mythology nerd. So he knew all those stories just as well as Elizabeth did. Mm-hmm. So he used that to his advantage to play into her background, if you will, or her origin story. And because of stigma, queer people have had to hide in history, obviously. And historians will then use their lack of clear visibility as a false proof that they didn't exist. Like, ah, you- I love that statement. Oh, just because they didn't come out at the time means that they didn't exist, right? Exactly. It's like that same statement that, oh, we're having so many um, autistic kids. They must be exploding right now. Right. No, it's because you can see them. They're visible right now. They've always been there. And we're finally identifying them properly as autistic and getting them the help they need instead of just locking them away in asylums and pretending that they're just crazy. So that's a whole thing, too. And that's the same thing that happens with queer people throughout history. In the case of the Marstons, bisexuality is somehow even more forbidden than polyamory. That attitude isn't just homophobic. It's also a portrayal of Marston's entire life work. In his scholarly writing and in the comics of Wonder Woman, he insistently, deliberately portrayed lesbianism as not only just like a good thing, but just normal. And he encouraged children to see the diverse erotic possibilities as fun, enjoyable, and exciting, not something that was shameful or dangerous. And he insisted that women were powerful, loving, and in control of their own desires, which I think is such a huge theme that the movie portrayed well. But in the comics really do. If you go back and look at some of those old-timey comics, you can find some stills and everything in there. The fact that all the historians and people that look in their lives and even to their own grandchildren were just like, yeah, no, they were just sisters. They were just buddies. They just, they were friends. Like, that really annoys me and really breaks my heart that people still feel like are terrified of the fact of admitting that two women in love with each other couldn't be a thing. Like, they're two very powerful and highly intelligent women. Like, I don't know. It just it's it's heartbreaking it's, yes and and you you take this idea that i totally subscribe to is that the marstons were like this this sex positive transgressive amazing force mm-hmm. and they've been like stifled for so long as being oh they're just these perverts we don't really want to talk about them and that's kind of how we take away their power this is this feels like a tangent too but i have you do you know who joycelyn elders is no she was the Surgeon General under Clinton. That was before my time. It's it's too much of a tangent. We should talk about Joyce Lynn at some point. But just the fact that we would take these incredible sex positive people and silence them makes me want to talk about them more. I mean, I think it's perfect that we talk about them for our first like dive into sex positivity in the media. Yeah. Because their story needs to be talked about. I agree. And it just like... I don't know. The thing that took away is like, it was super clear and the movie portrayed this really well. I feel like that Wonder Woman was a love letter basically to both Olive and Elizabeth and the fact that of like, not only his love for them, but the love that they had for each other. And it was just such a passionate project for him that he eventually came out when it started to become popular because he wrote under a pseudonym. And then eventually he came out saying, nah, man, it's me. What up? He didn't go what up, but he, he did come forward had. and say, oh, wouldn't that have been ballin' <laughs> if he just, what up, bitches? <laughs> like, 1940s style. But he did. He came out and admitted, like, hey, listen, I've got psychology degrees. I've been doing this for years. And this is absolutely what I think. And this is how I feel on it. And it's just, a, I don't know. Again, if he was alive today and he had, and he could look through the internet and see the history and how it, they're portrayed and their family was portrayed, I would think he's probably very disappointed on that. And he would be probably really thrilled about this goddamn movie. 
I think so too, honestly. There's this, a line from the movie, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure he talked this way too, but Elizabeth is afraid at this point. And mm-hmm. I, from my own experiences, I mean, I really identified with both women because I've been in both situations. So I get like how tumultuous that can be. But he has a statement where she says that she's afraid and she doesn't want to do it and this is going to be painful and we need to be normal and we need to stop doing all of the things. And he brings up this line that says, you know, who, who says there's no pain in love? Yes. My brain. The G-string The G-string king. And it, it totally brought it into, it just gives so much legitimacy to alternative lifestyles like kink, like BDSM, like polyamory. They're, they're all different. But who's to say that there's no pain in quote unquote typical heterosexual relationships that are monogamous? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's all there. We always say things that we you know always say things that will hurt our partners unintentionally. It's just going to happen. So, really, what are you going to do about it in order to live your best life? I don't know. I just oh, I absolutely love this. And it really, I think one of the best scenes was the topic of healthy boundaries, because I think before yes. like the big dramatic push towards the end of the movie, Olive didn't really have those healthy boundaries, Mm-mm. and she set them. And then after that, you know, things were better. We, we still had this idea of submitting to a loving authority, whether you're man, whether you're woman, and finding power in that. I don't know. It was it was just beautiful. There's so much beauty in that movie. It is. That's kind of all I got, <laughs> finally. I'm just glad that you liked it, honestly, <sighs> because I was like watching it and thinking, oh, I wonder if this only relates to me because I've been in a poly relationship. So I'm just really happy to see that it related to you like on such a deep level that you were up until midnight like finding notes for it. So that just tickles me. Oh, man, I dove into that rabbit hole of like, but this like, because I couldn't get over the fact of like, I loved how it was portrayed and how she's just, I've always loved Wonder Woman Mm -hmm. as a kid. Like, I didn't get much into her, but I just, I loved how compassionate and strong she was at the same time. And it was okay for her to be this big feminine beauty, but also could still whoop your ass any day of the week and took no shit and was truthful. Like, that was the one thing that always struck my, excuse me, personal chord is I grew up with a lot of lies. I grew up with a lot of, abilities to recognize or know what the truth was and, and that still kind of bugs me <laughs> hi childhood trauma but TM. um <laughs> are we trademarking yeah. that song oh we should but wonder woman was always a conveyor of truth and that really struck a chord with me so watching this movie about a man who you know was credited for creating the lie detector test or being very influential at least and trying to portray a character who was not only a powerful female, but a powerful female who always was leading the truth, no matter where the truth goes. And that was one thing that I've really liked how some of the storylines have hit with Wonder Woman, where regardless of how painful that truth is, she'll follow it and go with it. And so that's where I kind of was after watching that movie of like, I need to know the truth between these people because it's so much more than just, okay, this dude and two women all slept together and they thought of Wonder Woman. Like the, the intelligence and the depth and the passion that had to have been there for all of them was, it just, it meant so much to me. So that's why I totally went down that rabbit hole last night and did not get any sleep and slightly regretted it this morning when I went to work. Worth <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, like I said, I, I think there's, there's something in there for everyone. I remember saying the exact line that Elizabeth told William in the movie when he was obviously attracted to Olive. And she said the line of, well, I'm your wife, not your jailer. And I had said that, like, I didn't say jailer, but I said that exact line to my ex. And I was like, oh, this movie sees me. Oh, my God. It is. 
But please go watch this movie because it's absolutely beautiful. And let us know if you like it. Like, I know, we know that there are yeah. obvious problems with it. And I, we always, you know, talk about the game of, you know, who would you have a drink with, living or dead, if you could be anybody. I think I would pick the, these three people. Maybe four. Oh, hands down, I would now. Oh, yeah, now that I know that they exist. Maybe four if we included Marjorie. Where did uh, right, there's very little on her, too. Mm-hmm. Like, she just... They're just, I found that as a cliff note, basically, in one. Oh, yeah, by the way, there was another. I was like, excuse you? There was, and I get that the why they didn't portray it in the movie, but I was like, there's not even like a spark note, not even like anything. So it was just really cool. Okay, so I didn't come up with any sex facts this week because I was so focused on the poly relationship Wonder Woman thing. I have a couple of really cool Wonder Woman facts if you want to go down the comic book rabbit hole. Totally do. I'm so happy you said that. I was really hoping you were going to. I've got it. So, okay, fun fact. Let me think here. I'm trying to think of the really cool one. So Wonder Woman actually did not originally have the ability to fly. When she was first created by, uh, by uh, Dr. Marston, she had the invisible jet. It first appeared in Sensation Comics number one, was later changed to the Invisible Jet as real-life technology involved. She then did gain the ability to glide on air currents in Wonder Woman number 98, which happened, which was released in 1958. After his death, right? Well, after his death, yes. Yeah. And then they ended up take, stripping her powers for quite a while because the storyline originally was that... Oh, so what happened was basically in 1968, the storyline was she wanted to stay in man's world to look after Steve Trevor rather than join the Amazonian sisters traveling to another dimension to survive. She opened a mod clothing boutique dressed in fashion and learned martial arts, which again, they were done trying to portray her as like classy, whatever. And then until Gloria Steinman came in and saved her in December of 1971 and gave her powers back. But anyways, and she put her on the cover of Ms. Magazine. Yes, which was amazing. I could talk about Wonder Woman all day long. Hi. But anyway, so back to the original fact of the jet, Invisible Jet. So then in 1985, her origin story was rebooted and she had the ability to fly ever since. In recent years, the Invisible Jet has taken like a reduced role, giving her natural abilities because of her natural abilities to suddenly fly. Invisible Jet obviously isn't really as prominent because if you fly, why do you need an Invisible Jet? Let's see. In the New 52, which was like a huge reboot of the comic book, uh, the DC storyline, she and Superman were kind of an item. So that was really weird. It bugged me. I didn't like it. Yeah, it allowed us to nullify the marriage between Superman and Lois Lane, restore that classic love triangle between Superman, Clark Kent, and Lois Lane. Explain, explains uh, who the heck was it? Someone, one of the comic book people in there. I don't Which is so who. boring. The love triangle is like so over. Let's have more poly stories. Yeah, Let's do it. I'm over the love triangle. I'm over it. I'm so over it. Also, another fun fact: they did a DC Marvel crossover. I can't remember exactly when, but thanks to the success of Marvel Cinematic Universe, everyone's heard of Thor's hammer, uh, Mjolnir. On the hammer's side of the inscription, whoever holds the hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Da, 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 da. So during the 1996 Marvel versus DC crossover event that pitted Marvel heroes against DC heroes, Wonder Woman got the opportunity to try her hand in lifting Thor's hammer. In the comic, Thor loses control of Mjolnir during a paddle with Shazam and Captain Marvel. When Wonder Woman stumbles upon it, she is deemed worthy of the power and is able to lift it. But because she is, in fact, Wonder Woman and amazing as she is, did not want to give herself an unfair advantage, chose to discard the hammer when it came to battling Marvel's Storm. And she ultimately loses the battle when Zorm zaps her with some goddamn lightning. I love Wonder Woman. But she chose to, like, to be fair and... Principle. Yeah. Principal. She literally was like, yeah, I could totally do this. Was that in Civil War? No, that was during the 1996 
Marvel versus DC crossover. So this was before Civil War ha happened in the comics. Mar Civil War and the storylines in the comics didn't really take place until the late, like the mid 2010s, if you were. Oh, it was late. Okay. It was late. It was late. It was late. Anyway, those are my Wonder Woman facts. I could go on all day, but we don't have all day. I have to those go. Those were beautiful. I know we have to go take care of children and things. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, guys. Please watch this with us. And yeah, just let us know because we are just totally fangirling over the Marstons because they are beautiful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, please plug in. Send us those those questions, share stories, share like any movies that you want us to go over to our Instagram at just another sex podcast, to our Twitter at JA Sex Podcast. Our email is just another sex podcast at gmail.com and Facebook. We're just another sex podcast too. If you are listening on a streaming site such as Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, just please um, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. It really, really helps. It's something really simple to do that we would so appreciate. If you're li listening directly on our Buzzsprout site, thank you. We appreciate it. Absolutely. You. Okay. Next week's episode is going to be talking about, I don't know yet. Do we have an idea? Do we want to do fetishes and kinks or oral is moral? <gasps> oral is moral. Okay. Excellent. Next week is oral is moral. Sex and religion. That'll be fun. <laughs> That's always been a great historical combo, guys, in case you yeah. haven't noticed. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you again for listening, guys. We love you and stay kinky. Bye.